0: It's quite something what we're doing together. It's a rare thing in this world to be privileged enough to sit in a community, to participate with the community interested in understanding Understanding ourselves with the aim of lessening suffering in the world. To be curious about our own participation in that suffering and how exploring how our own minds get involved in that just as a reflection of the tendency of a human mind to get involved in struggle, in greed, wanting things to be a certain way, in aversion, wanting things to be not a certain way, in confusion, thinking that having things a certain way will lead to my lasting happiness more than for just a split second. So I appreciate your commitment, your engagement with this. It is not easy to look internally at the way our own human minds get up to what they get up to and the the hope, the direction of freeing our own minds, even in small ways, from patterns and habits of greed, aversion, delusion, will have an effect on the world because just like we could say that just like anger and hatred are contagious that when there's anger it often gets met with anger it's, that's a, it's those, that mirroring is such a human tendency but that mirroring also is a human tendency with love and compassion and wisdom and joy and so cultivating the diminishment of the reactive and the growth of the beautiful will tend to expand beyond our own hearts and minds to those that we meet and so thank you for what you are doing it is An amazing thing. Appreciate that you are doing it. Sometimes we're in the midst of this thing, this kind of thing. We get so involved in the, like, the details of our own habits and patterns and forget to appreciate the amazing value that it has not only for ourselves but for the world. So it can be useful to remember that, remember that value. Appreciate yourselves, even as you may be struggling with something, even as it may feel challenging, the very connection with that is a beautiful thing. Today I'd really like to explore that meeting of challenge. We've talked about it in a number of different ways. Bhante and Anushka in particular, Bhante spoke about the hindrances and this morning Anushka Anushka talked about working with emotions, in particular some challenging emotions. And I'd just like to elaborate a little bit more on that ways to work with, challenge, a lot of this from my own experience. The Buddha taught these four noble truths, The truth of suffering that we tend to struggle to react to things as they are. There is suffering, the truth of suffering, the second noble truth, the truth of the arising of suffering. And that the arising of suffering—sometimes this is translated as the origin of suffering or the cause of suffering—that the word can be understood also as arising. The with the arising of suffering is a truth, and the teachings say that craving is the with with. Essentially, the way I read this is that with the arising of craving, is the arising of suffering. It's a slightly different framing than craving causes suffering. It might makes it sound like craving isn't suffering, but with the arising of craving, suffering is there. That's a way that that noble truth can read. With the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. The third noble truth, the ending of that craving is the ending of suffering. There is an ending of suffering. The truth of the cessation of suffering and the cessation of craving is said to be the cessation of that suffering. And there is a path leading to the ending, the cessation of suffering, the cessation of craving, and that is the Eightfold Path. Essentially what we're teaching here, all the tools, all the practices that we're exploring here, are found in the Eight Eightfold Path. So we're practicing the Eightfold Path here in all that we do. The Buddha encouraged us not just to take these truths in as something to be believed. But he gave us actions associated with each of these Four Noble Truths. He said, the truth of suffering is to be understood. The truth of the arising of suffering, the craving, with the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. The craving is to be abandoned. The ending of suffering is meant to be realized, directly experienced. And the path, the Eightfold Path, is meant to be cultivated, developed. Uh, Winnie the other day talked about how the Eightfold Path kind of weaves back and supports the Four Noble Truths and very much in the Eightfold Path, that there's a kind of a feedback loop there. But if we think about these actions that we're encouraged to undertake with respect to each of the Four Noble Truths, understand suffering, then the tools in the Eightfold Path are means to understanding suffering and so the engagement, the development of the Eightfold Path will support the understanding of suffering, will support the letting go, the release, the abandoning of craving, will support the experiencing, the the recognition, the, um, the realization of the ending of suffering. And so the Eightfold Path is, is, a, is a kind of the, the tools, the practices that we use to engage with those first three noble truths. So this first noble truth, understand suffering. Our whole path could be this, you know, in a way. You know, just that, just that. If that's all that we explored, if that teaching was all that we explored, it would go a really long way. And so that's the emphasis for this evening, to talk about how can we understand suffering? How can we understand understanding in this way, this understanding that is referred to in this First Noble Truth, understanding suffering, is not about an intellectual understanding. It really is pointing to an experiential understanding. Understanding what's arising in this present moment. Is it suffering? There are ways that the teachings point to everything that arises is suffering in the sense that everything that arises is unreliable. That's another translation for the word dukkha. We often translate the word dukkha as suffering. And yet it also can be translated as unreliability. And so there are times when the teachings seem to say that everything that arises is dukkha. And my understanding is that what that means is that there is nothing that arises that's reliable as a place for lasting happiness because it is impermanent, it's falling away, it's changing. And so, as we have said several times over the last few days, you know, there's nothing out there that we can hold on to that will make us happy. will be that lasting happiness. And so in that sense, everything that arises is dukkha. Everything that arises is unreliable. Everything that ceases is unreliable experience. Just unreliable experience arising and passing away. And we get in there and mix it up and hold, try to hold on to it, try to push it away try to figure out how to create a particular flavor of conditions so that we can feel happy for a little while and then it falls apart and we get frustrated. What did I do wrong? It's either my fault or it's somebody else's fault. Must be because everybody else seems to figure out how to be happy but me. And so the... Uh, kind of the resistance to the unreliable nature, the impermanent, unreliable nature of experience, the, 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 the confusion in our minds about thinking there would be something out there that's reliable. That's where another kind of dukkha, the experience of suffering, comes in. And this is often in the realm of our reactive habits and patterns habits and patterns based in greed, in aversion, in delusion. And so we explore what is the experience of, when we are experiencing struggle, stress, frustration, what is the experience of that? The Buddha pointed us to the meeting of that as being the path. And we've also said this a lot. You know, we, the, the word hindrance, it sounds like, and it does. It, it's a, when those, those states of mind, when the hindrances are operating kind of in their own nature, when they are running the show for us, they are hindering our capacity to settle, But when we meet them with mindfulness, when we meet any reactive habit or pattern, any stress or suffering with mindfulness, it's no longer in the way of the path. It is the path. I've heard my colleagues say this over and over again. And it bears repeating, so I'm saying it again these difficult patterns, when they arise, and they can be seen and met with mindfulness, with wise mindfulness, with this perspective that Winnie spoke about, the wise view and wise intention. Whatever arises is our path. And it's not always easy to meet whatever arises. I spent I don't even know how many years now—twenty-some years—doing this, and it's not easy. But I will tell you, it is worth the trip. It is worth the ride. One thing that I'll say—I mean, we often explore uh, working with difficulty. Sometimes through uh, tools or uh, using an antidote, for example, something that kind of takes our attention away from it at times it's like, oh well, this is this is too much. you know sometimes we do have patterns in our in our experience that feel very strong. And it can be useful to use some of the tools that we know how to, settle that or turn our attention away from that. I'll talk about some of those, in fact, this evening. But sometimes we can jump to those too quickly and not give ourselves the opportunity to explore that we might be able to meet it with mindfulness. The idea that something is too strong. The idea that I mean, if you ever had the the idea, for instance, I'm too sleepy to be mindful. Anybody had that thought? I see a few willing to raise their hand. I'm too sleepy to be mindful. I would just like to propose that if you're having that thought, you're already aware that you're sleepy. You're already aware of, already, there's that flavor of that already there. And so give yourself a chance. You know, we have more capacity than we give ourselves credit for sometimes. And I'd like to uh, offer just a few um, things I've found useful in exploring working with difficulty, to find a balanced mind amidst difficulty. This has helped in my own practice to kind of expand the terrain, we could say, where mindfulness can go so that, you know, that thought of, I'm too X, I'm too sleepy, I'm too angry, I'm too frustrated, I'm too anything to be mindful. That there is the confidence that mindfulness can be, can meet any. Experience. Maybe not always, you know. And there are times when whatever is arising, the the momentum or the the power of the reactivity can be stronger than our capacity to be mindful. And so there's some wisdom that we have to cultivate about is can mindfulness meet this? But give yourself a chance to check it out. And we'll talk about that a little bit, too. I would say that one key tool in my own toolkit around working with difficulty is the confidence that mindfulness can meet any experience. Whether or not I have that capability in this moment, it is possible. And so that gives me the confidence to play with it, even for a few moments, to play with that possibility of meeting, meeting something with mindfulness. This evening I'd like to primarily explore meeting difficult emotions, reactive habits and patterns, difficult mental experience. often with some of our really charged mental experiences, they feel like they come in layers. A lot of different pieces coming together. Beliefs about things, old emotions coming up, emotions that kind of get woven together. It sometimes can just feel like a big ball of a mess. So one of the things that can be really helpful is to just start with a sense of curiosity. Often the, the old reactive habits and patterns are coming, they're coming out of deep and old conditioning, often from family, childhood uh, situations with playmates or family members or trauma that happened all through our lives all of all of that participates in in some of these and so a curiosity not to think about how can I get rid of this, right? I mean, again, the idea is whatever is arising, this is the path, this, this, the mindfulness of this is how the learning develops, how the wisdom grows, how we begin to understand about, maybe I should say, how we begin to understand that craving is suffering that the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. It's not something that is like a block to the progression on the path. Myself, I've worked with a lot of self-negativity, self-hatred being one of the big, big ones for me. And I remember on one three-month, re- uh, three-month retreat, um, it was coming up quite a lot and there was a point it's i just kind of thought and this was delusion but i just kind of thought oh well i guess i guess i don't learn anything on the, i guess i just you know i just have to deal with this I, i'm not going to get enlightened on this retreat <laughs> and you know so that that was the idea that somehow that self-hatred was blocking the development or growth of wisdom but fortunately i was willing to work with it And to my surprise at one point, there was really, really deep seeing of the impermanent, unreliable nature of the arising of that self-hatred. And right in the midst of seeing self-hatred, there was really clear understanding and that moment was a real powerful moment in my practice to help me kind of have the confidence and the like the sense of yeah i want to meet these habits and patterns it's not like they're in the way you know deep understanding can arise in the midst of seeing self-hatred it didn't have to wait until the self-hatred was gone and i'd had a long time to settle in concentration and no hindrances arising for weeks Right in the middle of self hatred, deeply seeing the impermanent, unreliable nature of the thoughts that were generating it. So that's a little pep talk. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so the curiosity is one helpful. Tool. Can we be curious about these habits and patterns? And it can also be helpful kind of to remind ourselves of some of the wise view that Winnie talked about the other day. You know, to kind of this is the framework for our mindfulness practice wise view. And so this is nature. This is, a, this is a really helpful one to kind of frame the experience. This is nature. This is a framing from one of my teachers, Sayadaw Utejaniya, and my understanding of what he's pointing to, that language, is that what's arising in this moment is a natural arising. It's arising based on... Causes and conditions, things that happened in the past, it's arising based on what's arising right now in the present moment, it's arising based on how I am relating to it in the present moment. What's growing right now, what's arising, what's coming into being right now? It's nature. A relationship of cause and effect unfolding in this moment. And so, just reminding ourselves, well, this is, that sometimes I frame this to myself of kind of like, well, of course this is arising. When I got to the point where I could say that about self-hatred, like, of course this is arising, look at the history, look at the conditioning, look at what happened and how, how the mind, you know, related to it in my, my history, of course this is arising instead of feeling somehow like I was to blame for it arising or I was responsible for it arising. It was nature. That really allowed a lot more possibility for just being able or willing to witness it. Oh, yeah, self-hatred arising right now. This is what it feels like. This is what's happening with it. So sometimes that, just that framing... You know, if you're working with something challenging, oh, this is nature. This is causes and conditions. This is... Of course, this is arising. And bringing curiosity to it. So with curiosity, with a sense of a, a kind of a willingness to explore it with mindfulness then we're in the terrain of investigation looking at exploring meeting experience meeting experience as it shows itself often with these real reactive habits and patterns with all of those layers and big complexity you know sometimes we we think we've thought our way through it a little bit like for me with the self-hatred it's kind of I thought my way through it a little bit it's like well you know probably this has to do with those situations and you know it's got to do with this thing that happened and so there's really there must be that thing underneath it so I kind of thought my way through it and sometimes when I sat down to practice I kind of was like Well, let me find that thing in the middle rather than, this is what's presenting itself this time around as self-hatred arises. That approach, what's here with this pattern that's arising? The big mess of it. Like Sometimes I think about these big habits and patterns as being this huge, like big wound-up ball of a mess. And rather than trying to like pull it all apart and get figure out all the threads and all the pieces that were wound up in there, it's like with really wide arms, like, can I just like hold the whole thing? Just meet that. Whatever is kind of showing up in this moment. What's here? What's obvious about this experience right now? We might be making assumptions about what's happening in the middle. And you know, th- those will arise, those thoughts, those ideas about, you know, I really think there's fear in the middle of this. Got to find the fear so I can be with the fear, so then the whole thing will fall apart. You hear some greed in that? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, what is here? What's available? So tending, you can hold those ideas about, well, maybe there is fear in the middle, maybe. But rather than looking for it, because if you go looking for something, sometimes you'll find it, and the finding of it is kind of like happening sometimes because we're making it happen. So really, like, you can hold those lightly. Like, okay, that's a hypothesis, but let's just see what's here. Let's just meet what's actually here. Meeting what's obvious about the whole complex experience. Sometimes I approach this, there's an image that I I first learned from Gil Fronstal, but I think it's a pretty common thing for Dharma teachers to talk about. So I don't know if he probably got it from one of his teachers. Um, Thinking about the practice of mindfulness is kind of being like a naturalist, I mean, we are, after all, nature. We are are observing nature as we observe our hearts and minds, as we meet our experience with mindfulness. We're observing the nature of a human being. And a naturalist, when they go out in nature, what they tend to do, what a naturalist kind of will do, is go out to the area or the kind of nature they are interested in exploring interested in understanding. So this is understanding. We're looking at understanding something, understanding a habit or pattern, understanding nature, going out into nature. They'll find a place to sit in the forest or in the desert, whatever it is. And they'll just sit and watch what happens. They may pick their place to sit based on what they're interested in learning about. You know, maybe they're interested in studying the habitat of a, um, a redwood forest. You know, what kind of creatures live in a redwood forest? And how do they live? What do they eat? And where do they, uh, how do they interact? And so that, naturalists would put themselves in a redwood forest and, and just observe, you know, what, come, what creatures come out? How do they interact? Where do they forage for food? The stiller they are, the more they get to see nature in its naturalness. What is wanting to arise? If they're going in and digging holes to see what's living in that hole, you know they're not going to see how, the, how the, they live naturally. And there is a place for that kind of science, right? We, we may cut up a plant, take it back to the lab, put it in the machine, pull it apart, look at the cells. There's a, there's a place for that. And there's also a place for seeing the bigger picture and just meeting nature as it shows up. And that comes with stillness with a naturalist sitting and just being willing to be still enough that nature begins to trust the observer and to uh, show up as it does. So our practice can kind of be like that, non-interfering. The mindfulness can have that quality, not interfering, just what wants to show up. So not digging in that big ball of many layers and threads, but just What's here? What's most obvious? There are a few explorations that can be useful in that place aside from what is obvious. It might be a little bit more closely looking, for instance, as you might sit a little closer to a redwood tree, but then sit in stillness. How does it feel in the body? Anushka really spoke to this this morning, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this part, but just that curiosity of like, okay, what's this pattern, this habit, how does it feel in the body? What are the sensations? Often, you know, particular maybe contraction in the stomach or tension in the shoulders or clenching in the jaw. There can be some very specific sensations associated with for instance anger you know anger might have a feeling of pressure and heat rising in the body or tension or clenching in the throat and you know a kind of a a tightening in the face a distortion of the face we might notice some very specific sensations kind of hmm, things that we can really kind of um we're familiar with landing with particular pressure, particular body sensations. And then there's another area of experience in the body. I found myself speaking about this in quite a few meetings in the last few days, so I want to bring this in too. There's a kind of a a broader feeling... Of the whole, the whole feeling, the whole mess of it that's happening right now. So this is a kind of experience that's, I would say it's not so, um, hmm commonly valued or taught in many of our families. I certainly didn't, I mean, I I learned how to be with, like, you know, pressure on my hands. I mean, it's pretty easy to be with certain kinds of sensations, you know, pressure, contact like this, hands touching, or, you know, a clenching of the jaw, very discreet, kind of, almost like you could, like, draw a line or a circle around a particular area of experience. Those kind of specific, like the contact points of your hips against the the cushion or chair or bench, feet on the floor, contact of hands. These are sensations that we know how to to touch. Some people also have a sense of, but I recently learned a word for it in um, Western... um, um, Psychology called interoception, kind of the internal visceral sense of the body. This I did not have much experience with. And so, you know, that this kind of experience, especially with reactive emotions, it's got a much broader, more pervading kind of quality. It often doesn't have the sense of something we can draw a line around. It often feels very very big. It feels kind of wobbly. It's not got a lot of like familiarity to it sometimes if we're not familiar with meeting this kind of experience. Our awareness can meet specific experience. And when we touch our hands together, we can know those sensations. So it's almost like our our awareness kind of can narrow down to a very precise focus. Awareness can also be very broad and take in a very broad experience. Sometimes when we go broad with awareness... It takes in like in sequence, it will take in like a sound and then a body sensation and then, then another sound and then um, an emotion coming up and then uh, a pressure or a tension. So it sometimes can, in a broad awareness, be that we're receiving a broader range of experience but it's still got that very precise kind of quality when we experience something a specific sound, a specific pressure in the knee or something like that. But then there's also this kind of quality of a diffuse, broad, pervading quality that can be felt with a broad awareness. I'll give you an analogy in the field of seeing so um, if you go out on a moonless night when it's a dark sky, here at Spirit Rock we can sometimes see, if it's no clouds, we can sometimes see the Milky Way. And seeing the Milky Way is kind of that diffuse experience. You know, It's not like the vastness of the Milky Way is taken by focusing in on a little part of it. And the like, the awesomeness of the Milky Way is t- is is comes up because we're taking the expanse of it in. So our minds know how to meet expansive experience. Just there's some areas of expansive experience perhaps that we haven't gained familiarity with meeting. And in my own uh, experience, in my own practice, this area of the Expanded feeling around emotion was one of those unfamiliar. It kind of can have that Milky Way-like experience, or maybe even more uh, more analogous, like um, the Northern Lights. I've never personally seen the Northern Lights, but I've I've seen videos of them, and they kind of shift and change. You know, the Milky Way is static apparently static it's not static but you know from our point of view here on earth it looks kind of static not a lot of change up there but the milky way does this waving and weaving and intensification of color and whew, the experience when we meet a broader feeling of our emotions has that kind of quality not a lot of stability kind of a wobbly feeling maybe a slippery experience maybe right now just as i'm speaking you know can you just touch into how you are you know in this one way into this just whatever you're experiencing because this isn't just available with emotions it's actually available all the time it's maybe a little more obvious with emotions, with strong emotions. But whatever you're experiencing right now, just taking in, letting yourself settle with how you are, and that's a, that's a, a way in. It's like, how, how, how am I right now? In the big picture, how am I right now? And how does it feel? not the precise sensations, but the whole thing, all that's here. How does the the whole thing feel? The feeling of it. May not be words for it, partly because it can be a pretty shifty, dynamic experience. Sometimes it can be diffuse and vague, sometimes it can be pervading and strong. So just like seeing if there might be a possibility of touching into the whole or the big picture of how you are in this moment, all that's happening right now. it often can have a shifty quality of shifting between pleasant and unpleasant and neutral really quickly too. So it doesn't really land with any one experience too quickly. It can be hard to put words to. With emotions, sometimes... This feeling, if we can touch into that place, it can be a little bit... Um, oh, hard to stay with, maybe partly because we're not so familiar with staying with something that's so imprecise. And so, you know, you can just play with it a little bit, this, you know, in exploring how does this with the body, or how is this with the, what is the whole experience of this with the body? Just like see if you can touch it for a few moments. And then just go back again to what's obvious. But in my own exploration of this particular aspect of emotional experience, as we gain a capacity to rest with it, to land with it. There's a lot of that shifty landscape of the big mess of it that's um, kind of available to be touched. And sometimes so much of our reactivity or our kind of launching out of that uh, into thoughts and justification and reactivity is kind of coming from that really shifty landscape of experience. And so maybe it may be possible to touch into it if you gain some sense of being able to meet that broad, diffuse shifting landscape of an emotion. Then it can be useful in another kind of investigation. Again, we're talking about investigation of emotions here through through the body. It can be interesting to holding that feeling. Just kind of be curious. Anything here want to show up? Anything else want to show up? Anything else available? Not to look for it. Just to be inviting what else might be participating in this show that may begin to kind of touch into some of the deeper patterns or conditioning uh, around the impermanent, unreliable nature of experience. Like, oh, I don't feel safe, or wow, I'm really vulnerable. Or, oh, this is not okay. Something, something may arise with that. The seeing of it if it can be held with mindfulness, the seeing of that whole thing can be very healing, very healing, bringing a lot of capacity to meeting this kind of uh, difficult emotion. So mostly been talking about just meeting the experience with a little bit of exploring perhaps a different piece of the experience that may not be so familiar. First of all, what's obvious? How is it in the body? And then this more pervading feeling. Another Um, exploration that can be really useful around challenging um, states of mind is checking into how we are in relationship to it. So for myself, self-hatred, right? Self-hatred arising. I carried so much aversion to that self-hatred so much of a sense of it was a problem that it arose. And that part not being seen. When there was the the capacity to see that, to see, oh, there's uh, self-hatred and there's thinking it's a problem. There's a difference between the challenge, the difficulty and the relationship to it and sometimes the um the relationship to it is kind of really driving the the show the thinking it's a problem to have self-hatred leading me to certain kinds of exploration about it in order that it should go away not kind of the curiosity but what what is this and then beginning to see at times the possibility of a relationship to it that's more one of curiosity interest patience so these two are relationships to experience there might be a relationship of aversion or greed wanting wanting something to to, to happen, wanting something not to happen. Or there might be an attitude of patience or calm or interest, willingness to be with it, faith, confidence. When I found that, that that relationship. When that, and, and that relationship actually comes by seeing the relationships that are in the way. You know, the relationship of ease of peace of curiosity of patience we get to see we get to find that place by noticing the, the, the it's not okay so that same pattern of seeing what's here holds true here but it has to be seen i think often these Attitudes or relationships to experience are hidden. They're they're below our conscious awareness. And so sometimes a little kind of check-in, like, okay, this is happening. This pattern, this frustration's happening. What's my relationship to this? How am I with this? That... That can be something that can kind of... Again, not to try to figure it out, but just that little kind of curiosity about is there a relationship to this? What's the relationship to this? not trying to find it or figure it out, but sometimes just that invitation. It's more of an invitation. Any relationship want to show up? Any relationship want to let me know you're there? That kind of thing. Sometimes it will show up and be like, oh, that's what's going on. I think this is a problem. I think this, is, this shouldn't be happening. Then it becomes something that we can be aware of. It becomes something else like, oh, what's going on? Is that frustration's happening and the, thinking it's a problem is happening. That's what's going on. And how does that whole thing feel? How is that in the body, that feeling of it's a problem? So there are times when settling back and having this kind of exploration of what's here, what's obvious, isn't so easy. The momentum of the habit or pattern is a lot stronger than our capacity for just being with it. And so I'd like to offer just a few tools here to some things that can support um, support some measure of being with it. There is the, you know, kind of redirecting the attention away from it. Which I'll get to in just a moment, but there's a few tools that are kind of in between the in the active investigation, kind of the, the the deepening into the holding of it, meeting it, seeing what wants to show up, being in sitting in nature. You know, sometimes sometimes sitting in nature, the naturalist is sitting in nature, and like a forest fire comes through, you're not going to just sit there. It's like, oh, forest fire coming through. Yeah you need to do something. And so sometimes we do need to take some action. So there's a few in-between things between the forest fire coming through and just sitting quietly. One of those is um, something I found really useful, a simple, simple tool that I found really useful with patterns that tend to be ones that come back a lot, ones that we have repeating. For myself... um, I, I, I kind of stumbled into this tool at one point when I was working with a repeating pattern of depression. Not a very intense depression, a kind of a low grade depression that was coming up a lot on one retreat. And at some point, you know, I was doing a lot of this investigation and diving in, kind of, but I realized that it was much better to, much, much more um, supportive for the practice to do something really simple with it. Just to notice, and Bhante mentioned this the other day, actually, just to notice when it's there and when it's not there. So when something's coming up a lot, like not much investigation. I wasn't doing a lot of investigation because the mind wasn't so able to really settle with it that much. But it was able to know, yep, there it is. Yep, it's there, and I could know it was there, kind of almost in a, in a very stepped-back, broad way. But also to recognize when it wasn't there. Because the, these more pervasive habits and patterns, sometimes we can have a um, kind of a, sub, a, a subconscious belief that it's always there. And we don't actually notice that it disappears, that we're not living in it constantly. And so that piece of... Is is it present? Is it not present? Depression present? Is it not present? I found there were a lot of times it wasn't present. And then, you know, then I began to see too that when it was present, there were two also kind of distinct experiences when I could recognize, yes, depression is present. There was noticing that depression was present, and... It wasn't a particular problem. It's like, oh yeah, I can know that. Yeah, it's that's what's happening right now. The mind feels kind of low. So not a lot of reactivity to that experience. And there were times where it felt like it was a problem. And so there were times when I could be aware that it was present and it was just present or I could notice that it was present and I was caught by it. So I began kind of just noticing the difference between caught by it, not caught by it. Caught by it, not caught by it. So that's often when we're caught by it it's because there's some attitude in the back of the mind. That's not clearly seen. And so the the caught not caught was just a simple way of acknowledging there's some attitude there. I don't really know what it is, but it feels like something's off. So yeah, caught, not caught, not here. It's here. Caught. It's gone. In this exploration, it actually began to through this very simple kind of three-part exploration not diving in not looking in detail it began to be a very dynamic experience of depression kind of there and then vanishing and then oh it would be back and then i would get caught by it and sometimes it just like went really quickly between those sometimes it was more slow going between them but when i began to be okay with you know this this pattern of being caught by it being not caught by it not there. I began to see just how dynamic it was. That was such a helpful tool, just a really simple noticing around it, not a lot of detailed investigation. Then another tool that can be really useful to kind of like allow something that's challenging but not focusing on it so it's not quite going so far as it's the forest fire and you need to get out of here but it's you know there's something happening and it feels pretty sticky so yeah, the depression was like this too I, I discovered this tool around the depression as well that um, I just began to realize well Yeah, the depression is there, but there's thousands of other things going on. It's kind of like the mind had taken the depression and made it the biggest thing. It's like I was looking at the depression, like just buried in it. Take the mind up out of it. It's like, well, yeah, there's a lot else going on right now. And so I just consciously brought in kind of a reminder for myself. It's like seeing's happening, hearing's happening. Kind of cycled through the senses a little bit. Yep, there's seeing, there's hearing, there's feet on the ground, oh, and there's the depression. And there's seeing, and there's hearing. Kind of just rotating through other experience to remind myself that the the depression was not everything in my experience. Because that kind of magnetizing to the experience makes it, like, explode and become really big. And so it's just kind of putting it back into the context of the entirety of our experience. That can also be really helpful. And then there are times when we really need to turn our attention away from it. When it's not helpful to try to be with something. And this, you know, this can this can be um I use a rough tool, a rough guideline. If I can be with something with mindfulness, even in this simple way of like present, absent, caught, not caught, if it feels like it's kind of staying at about the same level, not like amping up when I'm trying to be with it, then you're still in the terrain of learning with it. If it feels like the dial gets turned up to 10 when you try to pay attention to it, if it just like goes screaming off the scale, that's the time to say, yep, not the time. Not the time to be with that. Really helpful to kind of cultivate something neutral to let your attention go to. For myself, I often use my feet on the ground and... You know, doing walking with feet on the ground can be good because that's a little bit of a moving thing. So, you know, I found myself working with this with anger that I would notice the mind would get into anger and it would just get so stuck in it. Like if I tried to be mindful of it, I would just get lost in it for long stretches of time. And so when I noticed that was happening, I would kind of like bow to that experience. Like, yep, I see you, anger. I know you're asking for attention I'm sorry mindfulness isn't strong enough for you right now but I'll get back to you and right now we're going to pay attention to our feet so it was a kind of very kind redirecting of the attention the kindness there is, is important as opposed to kind of the can't be with that, gotta go somewhere else So kind of a kind redirecting of attention to something neutral. That really helpful at times. And some discernment about when that part is necessary. Is it possible to be with experience? To end, I just want to say kind of what I said at the beginning that working with these difficult patterns and habits it is not some kind of lesser practice. It really is where wisdom can grow right in the midst of something right as for me i mean it's like so mind-blowing seeing in the midst of self-hatred this is just a thought thoughts being believed and producing this whole show right in front of my eyes it's just a construction of mind seeing not only that that was just a construction of mind, but everything in our minds is a construction of mind. Such deep understanding can happen right in the middle of looking at these difficulties. So let's just sit for a few moments. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for listening.